this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Mass Mutual. Mass Mutual helps business owners identify and prioritize the protection and financial strategies that are critical to the ongoing success of your business. With understanding the value of your business as the foundation, they can help address the core planning pillars, which includes your family, business, future, and team, so you can help minimize risk and protect what is most likely your largest asset. Every business owner will leave their business at some point in time, either by design or by default. Let MassMutual help you stay focused on the task at hand, running your business, while together in concert with your trusted advisors, help to create a financial roadmap for long-term success and an eventual exit that's on your terms. Visit MassMutual.com. Hey, it's John Orlow. I wanted to record this quick message to let you know that I've got a new book that's now available called The Art of Selling Your Business. And really, it's a distillation of some of the best practices I've heard from some of the smartest entrepreneurs I've interviewed for this show. You know, having done now more than 300 plus interviews for Built to Sell Radio, I've seen that there's this small group of founders who seem to really have incredible exits, ones where they make life-changing money from the sale of their company. And what I've tried to do is really analyze what are the transferable lessons among that small cadre of winning exits. I put those into an action plan, a bit of a, a just add water recipe card for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. The book is called The Art of Selling Your Business. It's available anywhere you buy books. You're in for a special treat today because today on the show, we've got Mike Agliero, who built Gold Medal Service to $32 million of annual revenue before he sold it. What I find interesting in this story is there is very much a before and after journey. There's the first 10 or so years of Mike's journey, which was really modestly successful. He came to a point, and he'll describe it in the episode, where he reached a crisis and he made some pretty big changes. And I want you to listen for the changes he made to drive the value of his company. They were invested in marketing, in sales, and in leadership. Here to tell you how he did it is Mike Agliaro. Mike Agliero, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, John, glad to be here. Yeah, tell me about Gold Medal Service. What yeah. was this company in the business of? Yeah, Gold Medal Service is in the business of, if you think of anything, almost anything mechanical that breaks in your home, plumbing, heating, cooling, electric, drain issue, it, even if you're dealing with uh, your basement waterproofing or want to replace your bathroom, that's what we that's what we became the best in the world at doing in the state of New Jersey. Wow, that's so cool. How did you get into it? You know, I went to vocational school because uh, there's there's like always two tracks. It's like you're built for college. You're not. I, I went into not built for college bracket and I went to vocational school to learn the electrical trade. And okay. I graduated. I went into electrical because I thought, well, that's scary. That stuff could kill you. And at my, I, I've been on my own since I'm 15 years old and I, anything dangerous sounded exciting to me. And before you know it, I was an electrician out there. Were you really on your own since you were 15? Yeah. Long time. Yep. What's the backstory there? Well, you know, I, I always say I'm a survivor of a really bad divorce. You know, mm -hmm. my, uh, my dad and mom couldn't quite figure it out. And then before you know it, I ended up living with my, my brother was 17 and it was me and him in a, an apartment. And that was my dad's solution. And we figured out how to pay some of the bills and it got real, real quick on, you know, one or two journeys in school, you're either going to be successful or just follow the path and give up. And I made a commitment when I was 15 that I would, I would prove the world wrong on some things. How has that affected your life now as a, as an adult? 
You know, it motivated me. Um, martial arts, a lot of people ask me, John, they say, you know, if there's one thing that you would give to your success in the long run, I give it to martial arts. You know, that's really what it did. It, it, it made me tough early on. It made me relentlessly uh, driven. And I don't understand failure. I don't understand stopping. And it's all about through that, through the martial arts of learning how to really control myself. Who you see today is not who I was when I was 15 years old. And uh, I believe it gave me what people would say, maybe that grit and that grind and the ability to outwork and outthink everybody. What martial arts was your discipline? Uh, I trained under an amazing, I started out in Taekwondo, but then I started training in a, an amazing instructor, Chris Rossman. It was an underground dojo. And I did Daitaru Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, Shorinru Karate, all the Okinawa weapons. And I did Tenshinru Kenjutsu, which was live sword. And he put it all into one system. So I always tell people, John, like we became really good. Like if we had to defend ourselves, your arm would probably break. You might get cut by a weapon. And if we have to go to the ground, you're probably going to get choked out. So it was a very <laughs> combat. You're not the dude. You are not the dude I want to like, you know, meet in a dark alley at, in the middle I'm of the a night. a real nice guy. I will protect anybody in the dark alley that needs it. So, so you go to vocation school to get to an electrician and you start a company. Tell me more how it goes. You, you had a partner. I think his name is Rob. How did you hook, yeah. meet up with Rob and then kind of give, give yeah. us a story from there? First, I came out of vocational school and started working for some companies, and it became apparent really quick that a lot of these companies, they just didn't know what they were doing. And I figured if this guy could run an electrical company, I'm pretty sure I, I can. And I went to, uh, I was working a business long time ago in, in with a brother of mine, and it didn't work out. And uh, someone who I was working on a job with, Rob Zadati, said, you should go into your own business. And I was like, this sounds, you know what? I don't want to do that by myself. I said, I'll tell you what, you quit your, he had a really good job. I think it was at Squib that time. Maybe, maybe it was like 50,000 a year. You're, you're going back in 1994. This was a fortune, right? Because I'll tell you what, you quit and, and we'll do it together. I know exactly what we'll do. And he said, yes. And then that made us uh, dig in and start our own business. And it's funny. People say, well, how'd you come up with the name gold medal service. Well, every other name was taken that we wanted. We wanted A to Z and all these things. And the accountant said to us, well, gold medal, it was gold medal electric at the time. He said, this is available. And we said, all right, we'll take it. We didn't care. We just needed a name to start uh, working. And probably like a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to uh, your show, which by the way is great, um, they, you know, you start doing your trade and you think, you think you know what to do, but it becomes clear over time you don't know what to do. When was it that it became clear, crystal clear, that you were over your head? Yeah. So, you know, I'm training martial arts. I am strong. I'm running. I'm selling. I'm gunning. You know, when it became really tough, about 10 to 12 years of owning the company, my partner, Rob, came to me and he said one morning he came in early in the morning. You got to remember, we worked on construction sites and he came in early one morning. He says, hey, I'm out. And I, I thought he had a case of the craps, you know, because we used to eat stuff off lunch trucks. You know what I mean? Like when you're uh, Burger sure. King, like you eat yeah. to survive. And I said, oh, OK, you're not feeling good. I'll see you tomorrow. He says, no, I'm done, man. He goes, I'm burnt out. I can't I can't do this no more. I can't. We were going seven days a week. I mean, so that was the first opportunity that I was like, okay, we got a problem here. We're partners. And I said to him, if, you, if you're out, I'm out. Let's not do it. Give me and the right numbers. Right, of, what are the yeah. numbers at this point? Top line, bottom line? Like, give me you a sense what? of where you're at. We're pushing at that time, maybe $750,000 to $900,000. We never broke the million. Never broke the million mark. Now, in mm -hmm. the meantime, I'm sure like a lot of your stories, maybe you hear, John, is that, you know, I'm getting ready to have a kid. I'm, I'm like, my wife's in the hospital. I'm running from a job, right? From my first son. And that was, this all happened. It seems like time blurred, but it seems like it all happened together. I remember when my son was born, uh, going home. And I know you guys probably know, you know, you, I built one of these rocking, these gliders for my wife to sit in. So she could, I've been with my beautiful uh, goddess of a wife for, since we're 15 years old. 
It's wow. 35 years, my beautiful wife, Jennifer. And, you know, I'm sitting in that glider chair at night. She's in the hospital. I got to go back and get her. And I, I kind of break down. This is the pivot point. I break down crying and I say, um, I, be, I became like my dad. Very hard worker, extremely hard worker who will never be home to see his family, right? And that's, that's when I knew everything was over my head. I knew things had to change. Like my partner's quitting. I'm having a, a baby. I'm not going to be at home. And that's the turning point where I said, you know what? Um, a couple of days later, me and my partner said, we got together, had a conversation. I said, we can do this. I have a plan. Let's, let me share my plan with you. You want to hear about the plan? Yeah. So I say to him, I start just reading books and all this stuff. And I say, here's my big thing I figured out, Rob. We don't know what we're doing. And he kind of said, no, I don't know if I could curse here. No, well, no crap, right? No crap. <laughs> we don't know. That's why I want to get out of here. I'm burnt out. My knees are bad. Sure. He's a couple of years uh, older than me. I said, but I got it. We, we have to find people who know how to do this. And so we went out on a quest and before you know it, we found some different coaches and organizations and we went and visited, John, we went and visited one shop. This, this guy is doing amazing in electrical only. He was, I don't know, maybe he was doing 10 million or something. That place was beautiful and everybody was in uniforms, but I didn't think they were good electricians, right? Me and Rob, good electricians, bad business owners. On the way back, it was, a, it was a place up in Pennsylvania. The way back was about an hour, 45 minute drive. I said, Rob, if they did that, imagine what we can do. And that turning point like that took us from under a million dollar company, 750, 10 years later, John, $32 million a year, double digit profit, 165 trucks all over the state of New Jersey, 200 employees. I had the best, My they were not employees, they were warriors, they were Spartans. I was loyal to them, they were loyal to me, and we were dominating the state of New Jersey in a 10-year period of making that decision, being good students, and applying the things we learned relentlessly. I want to dig into a couple of things there for sure. But first, I need to understand how you got the meeting with the company in Pennsylvania. There's a guy named, have you ever seen um, Brian Scudamore stuff? Wine Hunter Got Junk guy? Yep. Yeah. So Scudamore is this, um, he is a relentless learner and has a curious mind. And there's a story, I don't know if it's true, I've never validated it, but he, went to FedEx when he wanted to learn like logistics, like he went and got a, got an interview or meeting with some like junior manager at FedEx to try to figure out like, how does FedEx deal with logistics? Like that's the degree to which he's curious, even though he's, you know, CEO of the big company. How did you get the meeting with the company in Pennsylvania? Because in an effort, they were actually a competitor of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were outside the state. And, you know, nobody was threatened by this, uh, this young tattooed guy, like no one's threatened by me. And I was going to join an organization and they said, well, why don't you go visit this company and see what they did? It was like one of their prize pupils. Right. And they uh, set okay. it up and said, hey, go see them. And back then I was willing to go anywhere. And it's funny you mentioned 1-800-GOT-JUNK because through my journey early on, once I got a taste of solving, like if you get the right person with the right knowledge, they will move you faster than trying to figure it out your own. I actually uh, worked with Cameron Harold, who mm -hmm. is sure. a brilliant, uh, brilliant guy. And I worked with him when like I couldn't afford to work with him. One of those deals, like you take your credit card out, and you pay and you're like, OK, this better work out because he was high profile. He helped at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. He's a, a sure. brilliant author, as, as uh, I'm sure you know. And before you know it, uh, John, on top of that, once we visited the company, I started finding out that there's so many brilliant people. And my goal was learn from them and then find a way eventually that I can serve them in return. So like Jay Abraham, one of the highest paid consultants on earth. I worked great with him market. for three and a half years. Joe Polish, a good friend of mine. Dean Jackson, a great friend of mine. Um, Dan Kennedy, friend of mine. Like I started to learn and invest in these people and implement before you know it. They're going, look at this 
look at this tattooed guys building this mega company. And then I would serve them any way I could. And then we would become friends. And there's a big, there's a big lesson there for whoever's listening to the show here is like, one, you got to realize, and I do believe what some of the, the experts say, like success leaves clues. No, no. Success leaves a blueprint. There's a blueprint there. Now it might have to be modified for who you are and your lifestyle and how you interact and behave and your goals and targets. But there's a blueprint for everybody. You just got to be willing to follow the blueprint. So uh, again, Joe Polish, and we'll put all these notes in the show notes at builtthecell.com. Uh, Joe Polish is a great marketer. Cameron Harold uh, was the chief operating officer of Wayne Hunter Chuck. If you need to kind of ch check him out, um, Dan Kennedy, an incredible marketer, you, you know, like a the direct response oh, you're a pioneer. So these are all great, great, great folks to connect into. One of the things that people are asking though is, is okay, hold on a second, Mike. You're you're like struggling at a seven hundred thousand dollar a year company. Like, how did you afford all these people? Like, what? Yeah. Like, what, what? How did? Do you know what I'm? Asking? I'm going to share that. Yeah, let me share that, John. First off, I can't believe American Express let me do that. Like, <laughs> I don't even get it. Um, we went and when we decided to grow back then, today you could get software. It's a couple hundred dollars a month. We bought a software because we were like that big company got $30,000. You had to pay it up front. And then I went into yellow page ads and I said, um, from $500 a month is what we used to spend. We went to 50,000 a month within a year. Had no idea. I'm going to give you one more point and I'm going to put the big lesson here. So one, we're putting it on credit cards and then there's this pressure there's this leverage on you that okay in the back of my mind's going are you going to let your newborn son down are you going to let your partner down like we made a commitment that we're going to do this so that's the first thing the second thing it became clear to me studying these marketers and it's interesting because dean jackson brilliant marketer he says marketing is everything and everything is marketing well brian kurtz who's a brilliant marketer he says marketing is the only thing. And you know what? I embraced, got addicted to understanding marketing. And marketing is a cash machine. When you understand it, you do it right. You do it with integrity. And I found out, John, I could put one message out, the right message in the right vehicle, and better buyers were coming, better clients were coming. They were purchasing quicker. And before you know it, like money is pouring in fast and this doesn't take years to figure it out like the right marketing message in the right vehicle could take an hour and you just made a huge impact what was so the I, biggest... I pride myself on being a world-class marketer what was the biggest change from the way you used to market the company at seven hundred thousand dollars in revenue yeah. that you changed to scale it to 32 million in revenue. Like I'd be curious as to kind of tactically, what did you say in the old days? And then yeah. what did you say in the in the next generation? Well, in the old days, we didn't understand it. I couldn't even afford to put a classified ad back in the newspaper. That's how we used mm -hmm. to market back then. And I couldn't even afford it. So, so back then it was like a business card, which didn't look good. The name had no specific branding to, it wasn't like a powerful brand or powerful message. Uh, we would stick it, maybe if we went in a bagel store, we would stick it on the cork board. We would tell some people, I mean, it's about as archaic as it could be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once I started learning that as long as you can track and measure the vehicle, like yellow page ads back then, if you were brave enough to do a double truck ad in a yellow page, that thing was a cash machine. That's where- what's a, Sorry, what's a double truck ad? A double truck. So if you go and open up a yellow page, and there's an advertisement on both sides for your company, like a double spread there. That means you're in the very front of everyone else. Someone opens, goes, you're the biggest company. I should call you. There's only so many there. And when we did our first one, and, and back then our avatar, you know, the, the 50 to 65 year old was a perfect client for us. Guess where they went? The yellow pages. So that's what started to change was we went from like not understanding marketing, a business card to, okay, where are the buyers and where do they go when they have a problem? And before you know it, I said, okay, well, maybe, maybe this newspaper thing is something to do. Maybe we should put an ad in it. And then we did. And then maybe we should understand 
radio people now there's you know there's so many different vehicles you got to be a little more strategic but back then if you threw money at something and most of the world was afraid most business owners were afraid to invest money you you had a cash cow opportunity there I want to get to the the cash flow of all this in a moment because yeah. the double page spread in the yellow pages 20 years ago was a lot of money. Yes. Um, but let's let's come back to that. What I'm hearing you say is two things. Number one, um, most owners, and you would in your own admission put yourself in this camp in the early days, underinvest in marketing. And so oh, one yeah. of your key messages is you've got to invest. Two, it sounds like a medium messages there. I, I Understanding the mediums where you're going to intercept your user, you can track their responsiveness. So there's a, there's a, there's a lesson there around the, the medium, how, how you think about. I'm also interested though in the message and, and, and how that evolved from the early days. What did you say on the side of the truck? When somebody yeah. called you, what was your message? And then I, I want to hear how that evolved um, I'm assuming it evolved. Maybe it didn't from in in the in the new uh, sort of world. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. Like, look, in the beginning, it was like, do you need an electrician? Call us. And then later it became, are you dealing with this type of problem? Mm. That's a pretty big distinction there, right there of you need an electrician versus are you dealing with power outages? Are you dealing with surges right in the electrical later? You know, we did all these different trades that we morphed into. The the second thing, it went from hello, Mike speaking, <laughs> right? Like, like, why are you bothering me? I'm pulling a wire through an attic to, you know, it's a better than great day at gold metal service. How can I help you? Right. So, like all of a sudden there's no customer service to, well, what do people want on the other side when they're calling a service company or any company? And once I once I started to figure that out, putting the marketing along with better messaging and better delivery of the service. Now, as for the technical side of things, most people listen to this. If you have a technical skill, I'm sure you're a good plumber, HVAC electrician. I'm sure you are. But are you a good customer service representative of your brand? Did you really answer the phone? It's a better, better than great day. Yes, I did. Okay. And so some people, like John, it. used to go like this. It's a crappy day. I've got no <laughs> lights in here. And I said, well, good news for you. It's going to be a better than great day when we're done. Like, <laughs> and it was, it worked out brilliant for us. And you could tell that I clearly answered the phone back then because I could run it. Uh, and later, later I did, it was a better and great day at gold metal, plumbing, heating, cooling, and electric. How may I help you? So then I was seeding the additional services in there to let them know you just called for electric. Wait. I also deal with a plumbing drip or a hot or cold spot in my house. How did you get frontline people? As you grew, you're not answering the phone of a $32 million a year company. I'm assuming you had staff doing that at, at some point. How did you get your staff to do that authentically? Like I've heard, I've heard people like, like, uh, you know, like when you, when you show up at, at like a McDonald's drive-thru and they're like, uh, hey, can I help you? Like they know they've been trained to say, hi, can I help you today? But you know that the voice is like, they'd be rather do anything other than be at the drive-through McDonald's. How did you get your frontline people to be as inspired as you are? Yeah. You know, in, in my world, and I took a lot of it from the martial arts I learned. So I've been a natural teacher for forever, right? This year, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, I'll be level 51, which is a stronger way to say 51 of age. Right. <laughs> and what I started to notice was in my culture was everybody wanted to join a movement. They wanted to join something bigger than what they've ever experienced before. And my goal was when I brought people into the organization, I wasn't bringing them in for motivation. I was bringing them in for transformation. And most people, they come in like, you know, be a good person on the phone, be happy. I wanted to help them build the skill that they could live their life through that. And I spent a lot of time myself in front of, if it was when I had five people all the way up to when I had 200, impacting their lives, showing them what it meant to live with energy or power or strength or focus and how their behaviors had a direct correlation to their future 
their future success of their family. And so there was always reminders through the building of this. And, and I would constantly be checking in on them. So I always say, like, I didn't have to beg my people to be good. They wanted to be good for two reasons. One, they never wanted to let me down. And two, I never wanted to let them down. And if they weren't delivering at that level, I felt I was letting them down. And I know people talk about, you know, all these amazing cultures and Zappos and stuff. I would just tell you, we had a Spartan level transfer, transformational culture there. Everybody had each other's back and we were only as successful as the least successful team member. And that's how I lived every single day in my company. Did it ever get tiring? Did it ever just like, were there ever a day where you just kind of just wanted to like, kind of be like a normal dude, as opposed to this like energy, you know, like, but did it ever just get tiring? You know, for me, um, it got frustrating, never tiring because everything became a challenge for me. Now, look, we, we had 200 trucks on the road. One time we, we crashed into the same bridge in a couple of years nine times. It almost was going to become cheaper for me to take the bridge down than keep repairing the trucks. I mean, it was just incredible. So I would say it got frustrating, but you know, I've been taught by so many mentors that in a state of frustration, it's hard to win and hard to grow in a state of energy. So how you see me now, if you bump, bump into me at Whole Foods, you're going to see the same person. You're not going to see a different person than what you hear. I didn't ramp myself up for everybody and and drink a Red Bull or something for you guys. And if you do that, that's fine. Um, so it's self-producing uh, for me. And, and I just found out that to live in this type of state is how you win. And you know what? It helps everybody else raise up that's around you. Yeah, well said indeed. So you're at 700 grand in revenue and you have the, the meeting with Rob and say, we can do this. And you start investing heavily on the Amex card. I think people would also be curious, you know, so again, regardless of how much room they have on their Amex card, many people won't have the appetite to bring in a senior level coach or, or spend thousands of dollars in marketing. What book would, did you read? You mentioned over the weekend, there was a book or two that you consumed. What book did you read in that, in that two or three days between I'll, I'll tell you one of the books that I, I used, not only did I read it, I gave it to every single employee it was raving fans, mm, right? Great book. And Blanchard. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a book that I believed if you didn't understand the concept of raving fans, then, then it's hard to deliver at a level that clients or customers will tell other people about, but you know, it's another area. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you my big lesson. And I hope it serves everybody. One, I became a, a junkie of books. I started reading everything Dan Kennedy. Had. I ran, I read Cameron Harrell's book. Not only did my uh, addiction to reading and consuming books happen, later, now I've written 17 books myself. Here's the biggest lesson I've learned, John. I was reading books because people were telling me to read books. And I was working with, um, with Cameron Harold one time. And he's the first one that triggered me into this concept. And I said, what should I read? Like, what should I, you know, the, the hungry student, like, give me five books. And he said, well, well, what's the problem we're dealing with now? And I said, we're dealing with culture. We got to figure out culture. He goes, okay, then just read a book on culture. Like, get that book. And like, I look all over Facebook and I see people they're like, I'm reading this tribal thing and this blue ocean thing and this thing can grow rich thing and all these things. And I go, Hey, what are you trying to solve? And they go, my culture's bad. Don't read anything else. Find a book, a course, the best human in the world on culture study from them. When you solve that boom, you'll move. Then just ask yourself a simple question. What's my next biggest challenge and consume everything to solve that next challenge. Really interesting. So being much more tactical, like if you want to learn search engine optimization, then find the guru in that space. Don't write a general business book or read it. Yeah, great, That's right. great, great tip for sure. So again, on this journey from 700 grand to 32 million, uh, marketing was a huge component. It sounds like culture and customer experience was a massive piece. Yeah. Was there one strategic move um, 
a lead domino, as Tim Ferriss likes to say, was there one strategic decisions that you made early that as you look back strategically, that was a, that was a game changer for us? Yeah, I'll give that to you. And, and we might get to this, maybe not, just so everybody listening knows, there's three key things that I learned and I'll throw it out and then I'm going to give you the tactical thing that led me. Marketing was number one, sales was number two, and leadership was number three. The tactical thing. We're going to build this new brand and we're going to go from gold medal electric to gold medal service. And our whole philosophy was not because it we wanted to, it's because I started to notice we had to. We had to be the one, what I call a source of one. We needed to be the solution, uh, John, that if someone needed plumbing, HVAC, electrical, whatever, to call us first. Now you might be saying, and then I'll get to the very tactical part of this, why we got to the, the piece I'm going to share with everyone. See, Target, Walmart, all these companies, Walgreens, they started to deliver so many more things because they figured it out. If we get a customer in the door, we better keep them and we better have what they need. So this multiple trade opportunity, multiple service started to break what people were teaching me back then. They said, riches and niches. And I said, okay, that's good, but that's not the philosophy of Target, Walmart, and everyone else. I'm going to go in that new area. So what did I do with that? This made the biggest difference. So, okay, we'll build this new brand. And the whole thing about a brand is to evaluate the market, not plumbers and electrician. And since we own service trucks and we're going to drive all over the state of New Jersey, like what does the world look like from the sky? Is it a UPS trucks? Like what's the color? What's the shape? I was having a, a conversation with my wife and she said something to me. She goes, you know, yellow is the first color the eye sees. Hmm. I said, that's interesting. Uh, a random note, yellow is also the first color that if you stare at it too long, will drive you insane. So there's a catch, 20, <laughs> catch 22 there. So we developed this truck, John, and it was yellow and black. And later I said, well, you know what? If the universe or God or whatever you believe in made a bumblebee yellow and black so you could see that sucker coming, it's got to be a great color combination. Before you know it, we build this yellow and black trucks. People are telling me, John, I see your vehicles everywhere. I'm like, tell my partner, we got two. We only have two of them colored like that. And they're telling us they see it everywhere. And that was just, that was like a kingpin. Like the combination of colors and the traction it took in our market, everybody noticed us for what? The cost of wrapping a couple vehicles. Then I was like, we got to start wrapping anything we can. Like I would wrap a dog if I could, was allowed to, you know, with our color combination. That was a real pivot point. It made a visual boom impact in when people saw it. Love it. Love it. How did you finance this growth? Uh, because the way I think about a service company, in particular, like a home service company, is you kind of, you spend all the money in marketing, you buy the fancy double page ad and the yellow pages and all that stuff. You, you make the phone ring. So you're already investing a lot of money to make the phone ring. Then you go out and deliver the service. Then you might get a credit card. You might have to send an invoice if it's a business and you might wait 30, 60, 90 days to get paid. It's a negative cash flow cycle. How did you guys finance this business and grow yeah. it so quickly? I, I would like to say it's from uh, muscles, <laughs> but... Um, you know what? We never took a loan um, besides using credit cards, which we've never carried debt our entire career of growing the company. Here's what I learned. Don't go to bed until you make enough money to handle your obligations. And I looked at marketing as an obligation. I looked at my vendors as an obligation. And I'm very proud to say this. And I'm, if anybody's in a different situation, you know, don't feel bad. But like, I've never not paid an obligation. I've never not paid somebody a bill. I've never, because I, I was brought up in a code of honor. It's all I had. What I learned was, okay, if you market it, well, you have to sell. Now, selling's really simple. Allow people to purchase really amazing value from you. That's it, right? And, and marketing is nothing more than emotionally moving people from the problem they have to the solution you have. That's it. It's an emotions game. I just learned that if you let them purchase and you get the job done and they tell people, you will have positive cash flow. We had positive from the 
from the first couple months of making a decision on how to do this different, we were positive cash flow from then to all the way time I exited. Because, you know, and I know it may not fit the paradigms of stories, but when I say don't go to bed until you mean it, I mean, there's been a lot of times, seven days a week, coming home at 10 o'clock at night, because I knew it would get better. And I knew if I put in the time, we would always solve the problem. Before you know it, here's something. So I'll tell you where a turning point here, John, was. We stopped this 60, 90 day stuff, this, this waiting for people. And TGI Friday's restaurant called in. They said, we, we got a problem with our plumbing. And I said, okay, ask them how they're going to pay because we get paid when we're done now. So that the guy's holding the phone and he's yelling to the woman in the bar, how much is in the cash register? And she goes, it's about $980. He goes, we got $980. Will that do? And we'll say, we're pretty sure it should do it. Now we went from this complete paradigm shift of, oh, you got to bill me and I got to wait for PO and you're going to put me under the bottom of the deck for a couple months and tell me you lost the bill to now corporate companies are going, oh, okay, well, we want you. So we will pay you sooner than others. It was a totally different way of thinking. Everyone else told me, well, you got to get used to waiting 120 days. And I'm like, I got this phrase, John, I say to myself, what if that's not true? What if it's not true? What if it's your truth and not my truth? And I started questioning all the truths about marketing, sales, and leadership. And guess what? It worked out pretty good questioning the truth of what people think it should be versus what it could be. And so you switched to a mantra that says, we get paid when the work gets done. Pay us when we're done, right? When I eat your meal, can I send you uh, an invoice at TJ Fry's? I'll, I'll eat the steak and then like you bill me and I'll pay you 120 days for it. Like it doesn't work that way anywhere else in the world, but the service industry, like we tried it, like somebody one time said, oh, Mrs. Jones, don't worry about it. I'll send you a bill. And he started a catalyst from caveman days that nearly destroys people today. It didn't make sense, you know? I do. Yeah, I do. So you and Rob went 50-50 on this business all the way? No, no outside investors? No outside investors. We went 50-50. It's the only way we thought that it would be right to be in business. And we own companies. We own buildings together because um, we, we both had to be in the game equally. And we never brought any capital or anything in. Now, later, look, later on, we got different types of uh, you know, leasing loans. The, I bought 22 service trucks at one time. And you know, every time I would buy a truck, Rob would go, what do you mean? You want one more truck? And I would buy, no, no. I said, we don't need one more. Can you order three? And he would go, oh my God, what do you mean? And he kept putting it on his credit. And then before you know it, I come back again, John, I go, we need more trucks. Oh, geez. He would go, are you kidding me? We're going to go out of business someday. And I go, no, no, no. But I do want to get 10 this time. 10. And he would throw his hands in the air, you know, to two Italian guys, you know, everything's hands are moving all the time. And then what the biggest one I did, I said, 22, we're going for it. He goes, we don't even have 22 guys to put in it. I said, look, when the trucks arrive, the people will show up. And wouldn't you know, they did. We had a waiting list of employees even today. And I get it. It's a different paradigm. But I truly believe, John, if I opened up a service company today, I would have hundreds of people in a waiting list for me and let the viewers that listen to this, let them respond to you and tell you if that's true or not. Because they know one thing. I fought for my team's livelihood every day. That I took that so serious and I said it to them. I'm fighting for your livelihood every single day that I'm here leading you all. So good. How did that change in good economic times? Because in good economic times, as hopefully we're, we're, we're ushering in now, yeah. You know, people have choices, right? I mean, there's, it, as we're recording this, it's in May. There's a lot of talk about, you know, that it's hard to find people uh, because there's a lot of money swishing around in the system. People don't want to work as hard. Um, I can see how the message of fighting for your livelihood works in a recession. Yeah. I'm struggling to see how it would resonate in a good economic environment where, uh, you know, a, a journeyman electrician would have choices of where to go, right? They, yeah. they can, you know, how did it evolve or how did it work for you in a good economic environment? 
Look, winners, winners win and champion, warrior champions don't lose. We, we won in all. We never had a down year. We never had a flat year. The minimum amount we've ever added any year, John, was a million dollars more. Even in the last recession, which they said was as close to the Great Depression, I came up with one phrase. I told my whole team, I don't remember, maybe 100 and something employees, I said, here's the deal. I refuse to participate in this. And if you'll fight alongside me, we'll cruise right through this bit, which was what, three or four years of what knocked out. It was like the purge. And we made an extra million every year. If it's this dynamic, and I've also lived through growth spells. The biggest year I had was adding six and a half million in one year. That's a lot. Now, today, I work with companies that are doing more than that in the service industry. Six and a half million is a lot. Here's the thing. What do people, what do employees, why, who do they want to work for? Here's what I learned. One, they want to work for a powerful person, powerful leader who respects them and they're not a number. Number two, they want to go to a place where they can grow. They can grow. My uh, my person now, when I exited the company, the person who's like the VP of huge, they grew it huge in four years since I left. He started with me as a plumber, Joe Hmm. Tadero, a plumber. And he said to me when he joined the company, someday I want to be in your shoes. And I said, absolutely, we'll do that. And when I sold, he was one of the number one people there. And we'll talk about my exit if you want. And so, you know what? Winners win. And warrior champions just never lose because people are magnified by power. They want that. They want to work with someone that they know is going to invest in their growth. And that's what we're, leadership is a big lack. This is a, just so you know, the pandemic's not the problem. The virus is not the problem. It's lack of leadership is the problem. Everybody's leadership. Everybody's waiting for whatever people to save the day. You start saving the day. I'm saving the day for people. I help people every day of my life in one way or another because I'm not waiting for Superman to land. I'm part of Superman. I'm here to help the dynamics. And if people listen to this, start to live in that way, you'll find out. The second thing, John, here is this. And you guys know this. Your mind will create whatever reality you choose. I used to program myself and say this, John, in 1994, there's no good employees. They're going to break all my stuff. They're all on drugs. They'll rob my truck. There's nobody good. There's nobody good. You think your brain hears you say nobody good, nobody good. And your brain goes, well, why don't you find a good? No, your brain doesn't even know how to talk the conversation. I turned around one day and said this. I said, you know what? There's a lot of amazing team. There's a lot of great people out there. I just don't see them yet. And listen, for whatever truth you want to put here, that day I get a call and someone says, hey, are you looking for someone to join the team? I'm like, Let's have a car. And I was like, I can't believe it. It's true. I programmed my brain for failure versus success. Think about it. Interesting. So let's get into into the value of the company. So you're growing this business. Did you have any sense of how it would be valued? Like what was what were you starting to learn about? Yeah. I had no idea. Look, people were coming, we were doing maybe eight million dollars a year, and people were chasing us. You want to sell, there was uh, alarm companies that were doing acquisitions. And I had three partners at one time. I, me and my partner had to buy out a third one. That's just another story for another day. And they would say, we got 8 million. And I'm like, all right, we're 30 something years old, 35, whatever, you know, 8 million. Like, where's that going to go? And so I didn't have any idea on what it would take to get acquired. Later in time, about probably six years ago, because I exited four years ago. So six years ago, no, no, seven years ago, John, seven years ago, I was so frustrated because I was in these organizations and all of these people that I was hanging around, you know, when you're successful, you get around people, you're like, things are going great. And they're like, not for me. And you're like, you start dimming yourself. You're, you're afraid to share your success. So seven years ago, I went on this passion to start changing the service industry. And as I started to change the service industry with this company called CEO Warrior I built, I started to say to myself, wait a minute. Okay, growing a service company is easy. 
I don't know if I if I die, is that really a legacy? Okay, he grew a $32 million company. Maybe it's a legacy. It didn't feel like one to me. I started to say to myself, I I gotta have a legacy. I need to change an industry. And then I said, well, eventually, if I'm gonna go hundred percent there and serve, because that's I knew I was born to remove suffering from people. I know that in my deep soul. I had to then figure out, well, how are we gonna what am I gonna do with this company someday? I'm not gonna throw it away. I'm not going to give it away. I I love it, but I know I can't I can't be married to two things at one time and, and change the world. That took me. Look, I've read your book. I've read every. I consumed every book on exits and strategies and all of this. And I'll share in a minute if you want to know a big yeah. turning point for me. I started to look at the industry for what's the multiples. I didn't know what EBITDA was. Like people would mention it to me all the time. I'm like, oh, you know, you know, when you act like you know things, you're like, oh, yeah, I got a good EBITDA. I'm like, what is that? Like temperature in the building? Like I had no idea. That can't looked, be true. You can't grow a $30 million company without knowing what EBITDA is. Let me tell you, John, Seriously? here's what I knew. Marketing, sales, and leadership. EBITDA ain't in there. The financial wasn't in there for me. I started to study. Now, look, I know conversion rate and average and PL, but I didn't understand that's an indicator that's going to play a part in an exit. Yeah. I didn't okay. know that. So then I said, okay, well, we got to fix things here. Now, my service company was growing big, but the profit was really tiny. It's tiny, sometimes 2%. was low. And Jay Abraham, if anybody knows Jay Abraham, I was meeting with him years right around a little before that time. And he's, oh, you got a company. And I was, you know, I'm like, whatever I was doing, 28 million. I feel like I'm a king. Profit's real little. And he looked at me and he said, profit, he goes, that's horrible. I felt like my grandfather was talking to me, pointing his finger. He's like, it's horrible, Mike. He said, you have to fix this. And I walked away like, like I had to tell me, I was like, this is horrible. Like I never realized it because you got you think you're making cash and you got all these trucks and all these people, you feel good. Within a year, we turned it into double digit profit, which goes back to, well, I learned part of this EBITDA, this profit's a pretty darn important indicator here. It wasn't when we were growing, it was about trucks and people. We took it to double digit. And then I started meeting with everybody I could, right? Hire the best, ask them good questions. And then we came down and we're like, okay, the, the basic multiple was like a five was really good. Like in the service industry, you were a hot dog at a five. And I can't share the exact number, but let's just say we exceeded that a lot. Our multiple we got when we exited four years ago, people, John, were like, are you, you would think they thought angels came down. Hmm. Now it's even more than that. It's even more, if I waited, it would have been probably even another some of them in the service industry, 15 points, 15. Like, when did you ever live? Now, I, we're at the peak of this part of it, right? I think we're at the pinnacle of this. Not that there's never, there's never a wrong time to exit. There's just another positioning. So mm -hmm. once I had that number, I had a target. And you know the difference between a goal and a target? Let me share no. it for all the listeners. Most people, John, a goal is something they attempt to do, but they're used to feeling, oh, I got a goal, I'm gonna lose uh, 20 pounds of weight. And then they lose 10. So that goal is like a failure. See, a target is a destination in time. See, I learned this from in, in combat and from my military friends. And if any military or vets are listening to this, thank you, heartfelt thank you for your, your service. They said, look, target's a destination. When we set our eyes on a target, we don't miss. I said, oh, I gotta have a profit target, and then I'm going to have a multiple target. And this changes everything about the way you think. Everything changes. Then uh, if you're, you tell me when you're ready, if you have another question there, I'll share one of the biggest things I did above. I believe I've, I've never heard anybody say it and I wasn't taught it, but I figured it out and I'll share that when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. So what does a marketer do, John? I started to read these books and they started talking about pitch books and uh, they build this packet and they present it to the world. And, you know, the world comes in and says, I like that. Let me look at that company. So I said, you know what? 
I'm going to build this pitch, but I'm going to help build a pitch book that is so marketing. It makes you feel like you're making love to somebody, right? <laughs> I'm going to make this thing. When you read it, you go, I need that company. And now, so I worked with a really good, um, uh, firm that helped us, uh, find people to look at this. And I was giving them insight on building this pitch book. Like the, see, you never want to sell just on what you have. You know, this, you want to sell them the opportunity it could become. Most people say, ah, they're only going to buy what you have. And I go, no, 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 they don't. If you don't know what you're doing, they only buy the, the based on that asset you have. If you're really good at positioning, they're buying that future. And again, John, I went back to this. What do I want to be true for me? So I built this market, which any of, I will give you every one of you an action item. If you're listening to this amazing show and you think you're going to exit someday, which everybody's going to exit. You're either going to give it, uh, you're going to sell it, it's going to go out of business, you're going to die. We all know that. You're going you're gonna to leave the company at one time in existence, no matter what. Here's what I would tell you. You build your pitch book right now. I don't care if you're going to sell five, 10 years from now, build it now because you know what? You have this working document that you're going to keep adding to and watching it grow. And it's going to manifest into this thing that at one point you're going to go, this opportunity here is incredible. Now, when you're ready, boom. I mean, we closed, John. We, at point of finding someone who wanted us, I think it was 45 days. Mm. 45 days. And what, what's really interesting, which I don't know how many people you have on the show that say this, in 45 days, John, me and my partner signed our name and we never went back. We didn't stay on for no time. That was all, again, strategically on our leadership. Remember, marketing, sales, and leadership. We had a leadership team. I said, why would you want to keep me with my salary and my partner's salary? You're gonna, your profit's going to go through the roof the day I sign and I walk out the door. My team's been running it for five years without me. I didn't even have an office in my building for the last five years because I wanted to build it exactly the way I wanted it and not what the world says it can be. Love it. Some magic there for everybody. How did you arrive at the target? You mentioned you wanted a target in terms of profitability yeah. and a target in terms of multiple. I'm assuming you were chasing a number. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the number? If you can't share it, that's okay. I'd be curious to know why that number was important to you. Yeah, yeah. I was chasing uh, two, two numbers at one time. One, I chased a revenue target because... Um, there was very few people in the world doing a service company at 32 million and we had it 32 million in 2017. Our target was 40 million by 2020 and we were gonna exceed that by 20 million at the pace we we're going. My second target became this profit thing after the brilliant Jay Abraham kind of didn't mean to, but I felt like shame and guilt, like I'm a bad guy because I have this piddly little profit. My next thing was double digit profit at 32 million, very few people ever do that. My next thing was, what would it take for an acquisition to put me in a level that the next 10 generations of my life, my kid's life, their kid's life would never have to worry? Now, I can't sell, share the exact number, but I could just tell you that I hit that number that I don't ever have to work and the next 10 generations would never have to work again. And, and as long as they're responsible and, you know, they, they, they read all the books I wrote on what to do and not to do, right? And they're smart with their money. It will just keep going. And, and that's what I wanted to get to. And it's interesting because I was listening to uh, uh, an interview with Kevin O'Leary today. He says he works harder today than he did 20 years ago. You know, me too. Me too. Because you know what? Now when you change the legacy, it becomes the next thing. The next target is how can you change the world? How can you My change the world? How do you think about your own kids? So you mentioned you grew up in very difficult circumstances as a 15-year-old girl on your own, scrappy, making it work. Obviously, in your own admission, that gave you a lot of drive and a lot of determination, none of which your, chi your child is experiencing, right? They've, they've grown up with a dad who's well-known, who's got lots of money and lots of success and how do you reconcile with that? How do you instill the sense of 
uh, grit in your own kids when dad's got a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you some one time, um, this will make sense this story, John. One time I had uh, one of my clients in my coaching company came to visit me with his wife in our house. We had a basic uh, two-story colonial, nothing super fancy. And they left and they told me, the guy says, my wife thinks that's not your real house. That's, that's a fake house. And you have a really big house somewhere far away. Um, being a martial artist, my, my one instructor, Chris Rossman, said, you know, you'll either own things or things will own you. So I live a, a pretty conservative life. Now, yeah, my, my wife's got a BMW. We got a nice car. We live down at the beach. I've always lived an example with my, my children to let them know I'm a hard worker, but also make smart decisions. Um, my son's going to be 22 in a couple of weeks. He was born five weeks early on my birthday. He's been running his own martial arts business for four, four plus years now. When COVID came, he flipped right to virtual martial arts combat. Um, he's an author. He wrote his own book two years ago, uh, hmm. authored his own book. And, you know, uh, he doesn't have it all figured out in his business, but he's figured out a lot and he's grinding and he's working and he gets clients and he has them on a small subscription basis. My daughter is 19. Um, she got yoga certified when she was 17. Both my kids were homeschooled. Now it's not foreign to be homeschooled, but when right. we, when I decided to homeschool my children, which uh, I think my daughter was seven, my son was 10, I was a black sheep. Everybody looked at me like how your kids are going to be social, like they're going to live under the uh, the attic steps or something. Now, now the world, everybody's like homeschooled, sure. right? And my daughter, yoga certified, runs her own virtual yoga company now, does corporate. She's brilliant at it. And she's going to college and she wants to possibly be a nurse and she's knocking out of the park. So, you know, it goes back to, um, we were, my wife and I were very conscious on what we did and how we did it and how we communicated values. And look, anybody listening, please do not think we're perfect <laughs> by no means. We, we figured out a lot of stuff we would do again and things we wouldn't do, but we instilled, you know, what does work look like? What is focus and discipline and um, and I led by an example. I mean, I don't drink any caffeine. Uh, we, I don't eat any gluten. I, I've never drank any alcohol in my entire life. So I've always tried to take these paradigms to say, look, here's, I'm doing the things. And sometimes they're tough decisions because the world's doing this. And maybe consider that for your, for yourself. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited how that that's working out for everybody. It sounds it. How did you, I mean, you built a company which had a very um, unique culture, one in which you said, you know, you, you go to war for your yeah. employees. Tell me about the process of just telling your employees you'd sold the company. I'd love, I'd love to know the story. I'd love to uh, take me into the boardroom. I want to hear how you approached it, what, how you prepared. It's one of the most intimidating conversations I think entrepreneurs have. It is. Um, I've only shed tears in my company twice in front of my employees. One was when a general manager of mine really did me really wrong, like tried to sabotage the company, steal employees, started his own company while I was paying him a fortune. And I went to tell my employees what happened and literally I had to walk out of the room. I had tears in my eyes. You know, this was even more difficult because when we closed uh, Gold Medal, it was right before the 4th of July. And the people who invested in us, they said, well, we don't want to tell anybody till. So there was like five or six days or seven days from the time of closing to the time of getting in front of the employees. Oh my goodness. You play a lot of mind games with yourself. And then things leak out and people are asking you things. You know what? I stood in front of them, me and my partner. It was emotional for me um, because like, I loved these people and I wasn't leaving the company because I didn't love them. I was leaving it because it was really going to be the best thing for their future. Uh, this, this company was going to come in. They were going to grow it. It was going to open up opportunities. Almost all my managers there are in another position making so much more money than I might have even been able to get them to. And the other thing is, I, my partner and I weren't looking for the highest value exit. 
we were looking for the best position exit for them. And the company son that we had partnered with that time was world-class. We had another company that was like running hand in hand, could have probably, John, I'll tell you what, probably could have made an extra million dollars. I didn't believe they would treat the people right. I didn't think they would do the right thing. They were known for like just crunching and burning these things. And um, so when I stood in front of them, as emotional as it was, I knew that I was doing the right thing for them. It's kind of like you got it. You know, I said, um, everybody knows that I was growing this company, CEO Warrior. It's a training and implementation organization. It was three years that I was doing it. We used to have sometimes 50 or 80 people in the company transforming how people thought about the industry. And I said, you guys know, like, I love this, but I love this. And I, I was put on this world to impact the world. And if I'm impacting the world, I got to make sure I'm serving you at the same time. And I can't do that the way we're doing it. And so with that being said, we chose to partner and bring aboard an amazing company who's going to bring resources and capital and knowledge. And um, some of you in the room may be a little nervous or a little scared. And I tell you, you got nothing to worry about. Um, I'm not disappearing off the planet. I'm just letting the team who's been running it. We had three amazing people that were directors running it and business is not going to change. If anything, it's going to enhance and your life's going to change. And that's probably somewhere in there is where I could feel it right now. Um, the emotionalness of that, that time, because for me, you got to remember like an all company meeting was 200 people. We would invite people to see it was like a rock concert, ACDC playing. I mean, <laughs> this was me. And then the day after I don't, have 200 people. I had my warrior culture and I'd bring them in, but that wasn't 200 people. Mm. Um, so man, it was, it was emotional. And then my partner said some stuff and then the new, the new people went up there and they said some words and, you know, it's one of those things when you walk out of the room, every meeting I had, uh, John, no matter what the meeting is, I would go at the end, 200 employees. I'd run to the back of the door where everybody's going to go out and I would fist pump them all 200 of them. Sometimes my, I'd have switched my my fist because some of these burly plumbers had big hands and uh you know i'd fist pump everyone and tell them you know i'm grateful for them and that was the hardest 200 fist pumps of um of my life you know because that's and i'll tell you that's not even the biggest challenge john i'll tell you the unexpected challenge of a whole exit for that was my children i couldn't believe it i never I never thought, and anybody listening, please pay attention to this. I never thought how much the company became part of my kids' identity. And when I went to tell them, hey, I'm selling, they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, tell my wife, oh my God, this has become part of their identity. They used to, they were young kids. They would punch buggy their friends because they seen one of our trucks go by. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is going to be hard. And it, it was, it was a lot, it was actually more conversations with my children than it ever was with the company because company grownups, they kind of get it. Things happen. They get over it. They move forward. Kids, I had to really share with them. And the, the good thing is I'm a big believer in this. Um, and somebody told me one time they sold their business and then they lost their way and went in a state of depression for eight years. And he told me, he goes, whatever you do, know what you're going to do and what your life's going to be like after you exit. So that's why I started the company CEO Warrior because I knew I wanted to do it. So thank God for that. My kids were like, oh, you're, you're, you're not stopping. You're stopping that, but you're really doing this to change the world. And that, that was so helpful. It was helpful for me too, because I'm one of those people, I have to know what that next thing is. And, and, and I have to be impacting the world. This is not a new thing. I was when I was 20 years old, I was teaching martial arts to the D.A.R.E. program, helping kids that were on, they were 14 years old on, on heroin or something. And, and, and I was in my early 18, 19, 20, hmm. teaching them because I just wanted people not to suffer that. And plus, I was on my own so young, I knew what it felt like to be alone and, and suffer in, in silence, you know? Mm -hmm. And so your kids... You know, part of their status on the playground was, yeah, my dad's the guy who owns the the gold medal. That, that truck, that's my dad's truck, and that right. gave that gave him a sense of sort of pride, I guess. 
And the broker doesn't, the broker doesn't know that the broker doesn't tell you, uh, he knows the broker knows everything to do to sell the business. I wish somebody told me like, Hey, what's the identity of your children? How will you break it to your family? What will you tell your best friends? And like, what's next for you? Nobody, nobody shares that piece. And, and I watch it now. I've been able to help a lot of companies, but I watched years ago, a lot of people sell and get, they think they're going to golf. They think they're going to fish and they get lost very quick because part of their purpose goes away. And I think, I think people that are helping people exit companies, uh, I had a brilliant person that helped me. They should tell people about this. They should. Mm -hmm. Well, you've helped a lot of people today, Mike. I really appreciate you doing this and sharing with such humility and candor. Awesome. Awesome conversation. So thanks for doing it. Is there a place where uh, you want to send people? Uh, is there a website or, you know, do you, do you accept LinkedIn connections? What's, what's best? Yeah, there's, there's two areas uh, today, if I can mention. Um, one of them is if you're in a service type business, anything that works in a residential home and helps people solve problems in their house, go to ceowarrior.com. And we help service companies. We're the best in the world at helping them get processes, systems, marketing, and growth uh, in place. And we do events and stuff. And if you're looking for a personal uh, peak performance and life uh, training, how to get your life, your relationships, and wealth, and all that to the next level, um, I have another company that's called Food Dog Group, F U D O G Group.com. Um, so I have best of both worlds for anybody listening. If I can serve you, and if for some reason you're just listening and you're in a bad place, reach out to me. Send me a Facebook message. You'll find me. I'll send you a free book. No obligation. I don't want anybody to suffer. I'm honored uh, to be on here, John. And, and you are doing something that is changing the world because business owners don't know how to navigate these worlds. So uh, kudos to you, my friend. I'm proud of you right. for, for being a part of helping people today. It's, it's a good thing. That's very generous to say. So we'll put all that CEO warrior food dog in the show notes, builtcell.com to grab those. Mike, thank you for doing this. Thanks, brother. Have a good day. Hey, if you like today's episode, you're going to love my new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. The book was inspired by the cohort of my guests over the years who have been able to negotiate an exit far better than the benchmark in their industry, sometimes two or three times more than I would have expected. I was curious to understand the tactics and strategies of these entrepreneurs and what they do differently from average performers. The result is a playbook for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. To learn more, go to builttosell.com slash selling, where we put together a collection of gifts for listeners who order the book. Just go to builttosell.com slash selling. Built to Sell Radio is produced by Haley Parkhill. Our audio and video engineer is Dennis Labataglia. If you like what you've just heard, subscribe to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Just go to builttosell.com. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L 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 Thanks for listening.